Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. I'm going to dive in this morning. I'm not going to preach real long. 45, 50 minutes should do it. <laughs> There's some nervous laughs there. Did y'all hear that? <laughs> okay, I'm not going to preach real long today. Grab your Bibles and open with me to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. Luke 24. Now the Bible teaches us that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. The problem is we're trying to follow this light, we're trying to follow this lamp, we're trying to stay in step with the Spirit of God, we're trying to do what He's telling us to do, but it's not always clear. It doesn't always make sense, and at times we can end up very confused. The road, why am I going this way, God? What are you doing with me? Why am I here? Why does life look like this? Why does my marriage look like this? Why does my job look like this? Why did I just lose my job? What's going on with my kids? What's happening here? It doesn't make sense, God. And the road that we're on, in an effort to follow God, can leave us confused. It can be a very confusing road. I thought I knew what was going on, God, but apparently I didn't. I thought I understood, but maybe I don't. I was trying to walk by faith, trying to believe, but it doesn't seem to be going my way. I don't know, maybe it's just me, or maybe you can relate. Maybe if you're watching online right now, you can relate to what I'm talking about, that you're trying to follow God, but it's not coming together. And it's confusing. In Luke chapter 24, we find two men. They're having a similar walk. They've been trying to follow Jesus, and yet now they're left confused. Let's read in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Now, let's put this story into context. This is right after Jesus had come into Jerusalem. They had the Passover meal. Jesus is then arrested later that evening, dragged from trial to trial to trial, eventually taken to the whipping post, beaten, forced to carry his own cross up Calvary, uh, and where he hung and died. And then he was put in a grave, in a tomb. Three days later, the tomb is rolled away. And that morning, the next morning, the, the, the ladies go in, Jesus is gone, and the angel says, he's been resurrected, he's alive. That very same day, these two men leave Jerusalem, and they're walking along the road to a town called Emmaus. We don't know exactly where Emmaus is. There's a number of, uh, a bit of confusion is exactly what it was. Josephus tells us that there's a small village that he believes was uh, Emmaus, and it was actually three and a half miles from Jerusalem. And so his belief was when the Bible says seven miles, that was a round trip term. It was seven miles from Jerusalem, meaning three and a half miles to Emmaus and three and a half miles back. But we don't really know. We just know that these men are walking along and they're talking. As they walked along, they talked about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, watch this, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Now, these two men were not some of the big 12 disciples. This was not 
Peter, James, and John. This was not one of the, these were not the disciples, but they were definitely followers of Jesus. They were definitely men that were close enough to Jesus that they were there in Jerusalem with Jesus when the events took place. And suddenly, in the midst of their confusion, Jesus shows up with them. The man that they had been following, the man that they had been learning from, the man that they had watched being beaten and and crucified, and the man whom they had heard that morning that his body was missing and he was alive. Suddenly he's there. Can you imagine the moment? I'll be honest with you, I can't. I, I can't imagine burying someone on Friday and on Sunday night them walking up next to me in the mall. That's what happens to these men. Verse 16, but God kept them from recognizing them. Here's what's crazy. After all this time, after all the time they had spent together, they walk, Jesus walks right up next to them and begins talking with them, and they don't recognize him. Well, he says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Watch this verse. They stopped short. What does that mean? They, they, they froze for a minute. And they looked at Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. They look at him with confusion and with sadness written across their faces. If you're, if you're a guy that highlights in your Bible or underlines in your Bible, you ought, to, you ought to highlight that. Because they're looking at Jesus. They're looking at their answer. They're looking at the solution to the problem. They're looking to the hope of the world. They're looking at everything, but their faces are showing sadness. Then one of them, uh, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. <laughs> how did he feel a few minutes later? When he, found, when he finds out it's Jesus, how do you think that went? Oh, I just said Jesus must be the only one that didn't know what happened to him. He lived it. Jesus said, what things? He's just going to go with it. What things? Jesus asked. You with me this morning? See, the men are confused. They thought it was going their way. They thought Jesus was going to set up this kingdom. He was going to be the king of kings and the Romans were going to be gone and and everything. Life was going to be good, not just for the followers of Christ, but for all of Israel and for all of the Jews. Things were going to get back to the way they were under King David. This was it and then now it's not it and we're confused. And now his body's gone. And the women said, he's alive. What are they talking about? The things that happened to Jesus, the men from Nazareth, they said. Now I want you to watch. These are men that have been following Jesus, but watch their report of him. Jesus had been telling them that he was the son of God. Jesus had been telling them that he was God himself. He had told them everything that was going to happen, but now... They're so confused, here is their report. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. Wait a minute. Jesus wasn't a prophet. Jesus is God. He's not a prophet. This was part of the big argument. The rest of the world thought he might have just been a prophet, but the followers of Christ believed that he was the Messiah. He he goes on. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. This was a fact. 
Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the enemies of Jesus, believed that he was a great teacher. He walked around. They called him rabbi or rabboni. They, they called him teacher. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Watch right here. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped he was. We followed him like he was. We gave it everything we could. When the world was against him, we stood with him because we believed he was the Messiah. We thought we were on the right road, and now we don't know what to believe. This all happened three days ago. Then some of the women from our group of his followers were at the tomb earlier this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. So I like this. It's starting to look up, right? It's an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen an angel who told them Jesus is alive. Can you see their face start to build a little bit here? They went from sadness all of their, over all of their faces to now. And they told us that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea. And sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. But I want you to note here. They didn't say the men came back and confirmed that Jesus was alive. They didn't come back and confirm that we, th we thought we were right, then we were wrong, but now we, was, now we realize we were right. No, they just said, the women came back and said Jesus was alive, but we went and saw the, the body was gone. And now we're walking down trying to figure all this out. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if you can relate to this, but in my walk following God, there are times that I think I know what he's doing in my life. And then there are times when I'm totally confused and it's not making sense. And then, I, th then something happens and I'm like, okay, I've got this thing figured out. But then God doesn't give the rest of the puzzle and I'm confused again. And I'm like, wait a minute, God, I, I'm, I'm spinning around here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to walk this road of confusion and all I want to do is follow you. How many of you can say this morning that in your life you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? That, I, that you want to follow God and you're trying to walk in His ways and walk in His footsteps and you're trying to follow the, the, His lamp unto your feet? And yet, how many can also say it can be very confusing at times? God, what in the world are you doing? I thought it made sense, then it doesn't. I'm trying to walk by faith, now I don't know. And you're missing Jesus, where are you? Can you imagine that? He's missing And Jesus said, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? This is the same message that Jesus has been preaching to them for three years. This is the same message that the prophets had spoken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. These are the same words that, that as good Jewish people, you would study them day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. You knew the words of the prophets. You were hanging on for the Messiah. You were hanging on for these prophetic words. The Pharisees wouldn't let you forget. The Sadducees wouldn't let you forget. At every holiday, you talked about them. You knew the words, and yet when it happened in front of you, Jesus is like, come on, man, can't you see? No. And in my life, there are times that 
I feel like God's looking at me saying, can't you see, Randon? And I'm saying, no. No, God, I don't. Because it feels like you're missing. And I'm all alone, confused on this road, trying to follow you. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the, the things concerning himself. This is, this is such an interesting thing. These men, while they weren't some of the 12 disciples, they were so close to Jesus that they were in the room when, when Mary and the women and, and came back. They were in the room with the 12 disciples that heard the story that Jesus' body was gone and he was alive. They're in the tight group. But they don't recognize his face. And they don't recognize his voice. They don't recognize his teachings. They don't recognize his knowledge of Scripture. See, Jesus, he didn't just teach the Scripture. He was the Scripture. The, the Bible said in, in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Jesus is the word of God and made into flesh. And so when he's walking around, every scripture is about him. So he's just talking about himself. And yet they didn't recognize it. Because there are times in our life when Jesus seems to be hidden from us. When his work seems to have disappeared. We love God. And, and we know in our hearts that he cares about us and he wants to be with us and, he, and he's, he's trying to take, take care of us. But, man, we're so caught up in our worries and our problems and our issues. And we're so busy talking about those that we don't see Jesus when he's there. My question for you is this. Are you too busy talking about your problems to recognize the solution is right in front of you? Are we too busy posting on social media? About all of our problems and all of our complaints and all of our issues, are we too busy crying to every person that will listen and moaning and complaining to realize that the solution has walked into the room? Sadness was written across their faces. Can you believe the, when the facts don't support what you've heard from God? Can you believe that Jesus is there when the facts don't support you? Can you believe? They wanted to believe, but sadness was written off over all their faces. They, so they arrive at their destination. We're walking through this story. We're getting somewhere this morning. We're walking through this story. They arrive at their destination. Now, Jesus is a guest. The men don't know him. And so Jesus acts as if he's going to walk away. He turns to walk away. And the men, here's what the Bible says. In verse 28, by this time they were nearing Emmaus. And in the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. Why? Because he was a guest. He's not going to come in until he's invited in. But they begged him. I love the New King James says, the New King James says they constrained him. Jesus was going to walk away. But their spirit recognized something that their eyes didn't. There, something in them, something in their spirit said, don't let this man get away. Don't let this moment leave. There's something different happening here. And when their eyes couldn't see it and their faith was waning, their spirit reached out and constrained him. And these men physically grabbed him and said, you're not leaving. You're staying with us. I can tell you that in my confusion, in my, in my misunderstanding, in my, my lack of, uh, of revelation of what God is doing in my life, 
there are also these moments where I may not see God, but something in me is drawing and saying, stay in prayer just another minute or two. Stay locked into worship for just one more song. Get, go, get up and go to church Sunday morning. I know you didn't feel like it. I know you don't want to. I know you could have stayed at home and, and, and because you had a late night the night before and you got a busy week, but get up and go today because you never know when this is going to be the moment. And something in you draws, and it's, and it's the, the Spirit of God drawing on the Spirit of man, and it pulls, and we say, God, I'm not leaving. I don't know where you are, but something about this moment says I've got to hang in. So Jesus comes in. They begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, I want you to watch this, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. This was not communion. This was not the Passover meal. This was just a normal dinner. And Jesus stands up and he grabs the bread. He's a guest. This is not his job. This is not his duty. But he takes the bread. He blesses the bread. And then he breaks the bread and he gave it back to them. Now, wait a second. It was their own bread. Jesus is the guest. He took the bread from them, blessed it, broke it, and gave it back to them. And at this very moment, suddenly, their eyes opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. He was gone. Let's get this straight again. They looked him in the face didn't recognize him. They saw his body, didn't recognize him. I don't know how, but they didn't see the nail scars in his hands. They didn't see the stripes on his back. They didn't see the, 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 the thorns, holes in his forehead. I don't know how they didn't see it, but they didn't recognize it. Why do I know that they were there? Because later on, Jesus shows them to Thomas and says, here's the holes in my hand, here's the hole in my side. They didn't recognize his body. They didn't recognize his voice. They didn't recognize his teaching. They didn't recognize his understanding of Scripture. And yet something about this process, something about this moment when Jesus took the bread, he took their bread from them, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it back to them. Their eyes were opened. Why? Because this is what God does. Four things. He takes, he blesses, he breaks and he gives. And this is the pattern of God. Consider it like this. They weren't there at the Passover meal, but maybe they had heard the story from Peter. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, here's what it says. As they were eating, Je Jesus took some bread. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples. Sound familiar? How about this one? Go back further in the book of Matthew, in, in chapter 14, Jesus is about to feed the 5,000. There's thousands of people that are hungry and, and, and needing food. They've been listening to him teach all day. Here's what he says. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples and distributed it to the people. Thousands of people blessed. Why? Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And then he gave it. This is what Jesus had been doing. And isn't that what he does with people? Consider Isaac, 
the promised son of Abraham. He takes him. He blesses him in, in Abraham's house. But then he breaks him on the mountain as Abraham lays him on the altar to be sacrificed. But you know what then God did? He gave him to the world as the promised seed of the, of the nation of Israel. How about this? Joseph, he takes him out of the pit that his brothers had put him in to die. He blesses him in Potiphar's house. As a slave, he's blessed. He's running the whole house. Then he breaks him in the prison before giving him as the prince of Egypt to save not only Egypt, but his entire family. You want another one? God takes Moses from the river. He blesses him in Pharaoh's house. He's raised with the best of the best, the best education, the best food, the best teaching, the best wisdom, the best training you could ever have. He taught him from a very early age how to run a nation. But then he breaks him on the backside of the desert for 40 years before giving him back to Israel as a deliver deliverer and then setting him up to lead the people out and forming this nation of Israel. How about Jesus? He takes him from heaven. He blesses him on the earth. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The crowds are following him. I just told you how he fed the thousands and thousands. He did this on multiplication. Miracles are happening everywhere. Jesus' life is blessed, but then he broke him on the cross. But he broke him so that he could give him to the world so that we could have salvation for all. Something in this process helped these two men to recognize this is Jesus. This is Jesus. It's the taking and the break and the blessing and the breaking and the giving. This is what he's still doing with us today. He takes us, but the, here's the thing about God. He's never going to take you forcefully. You have to give your life to him. He was a guest. He was waiting to be invited in. But when he was invited in, they gave him the bread. He took it. It's always concerning to give your life to Jesus because we're giving over con to control to someone that we can't see. We're giving over control of our decisions and our life and our emotions and our plans to someone that we cannot see, to a God that we've never seen face to face in, in flesh, and yet we are giving over control to him. But let me tell you, when, when you give your life to Jesus, when he takes your life, he takes it, and it doesn't matter what condition your life is in. Jesus takes people in all forms and fashions. He takes the best of the best and the worst of the worst, and it doesn't matter to him because he made us all, and he knows exactly what we need. So he takes our life. And you know what? Isn't it just like Jesus that the next thing he does is he blesses us? How many of you remember when you first gave your life to Jesus? Raise your hand if you remember when you first gave your life to Jesus. Did you go through the honeymoon phase where everything just seemed to be working out well? Yeah, it's just like everything was coming up roses for you. I gave my life to Jesus. Things are going well now. My marriage is doing better. My kids are acting right. My finances are doing good. I got a raise at my job. And it's like, man, what is, what's going on? God's blessing you. Can I just tell you, if you're in the, in the blessing season of your life right now, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Man, just sit back and say, thank you, Jesus, for blessing me. Bless somebody else while you're there. 
How does God bless us? God blesses us through people. God blesses us himself. And sometimes we've got to bless ourselves. Sometimes you've got to lay your hands on your own head and be like, you know what, Randon, you're blessed today. Because that's the season that I'm in. And, and maybe the Lord's not awake this morning, but that's okay. I am blessing myself. And that's all right. When you're in the blessing season, just enjoy the ride. I was talking to uh, some, some of our friends, and they're uh, still relatively newly married. And here a while back, they were saying about how they hadn't had any fights, and life was so good, and this marriage thing was easy. And I was like, yes, that is fantastic. Enjoy it. You have no idea what's coming. <laughs> Am I right? Enjoy when you're, man, when, you, when you're on your honeymoon, enjoy the honeymoon. When you're, when you're in the blessing season of life, enjoy it. How many of you have teenagers? Do you notice how it's a lot of uh, uh, Jekyll and Hyde going on? Is that just my mind? Okay. When, when they're the good kid, enjoy it. Because you never know when the hormones are going to kick in and the switch is going to flip. Enjoy the good seasons. Here's the thing about God, though. In his blessing, he's affirming you. God spoke out of the heavens and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was announcing it to the world. Because what happens next? He breaks us. We don't like this part. That's why I tell you, enjoy the blessing season while you're there. Because the breaking is coming. This is not because God's mad at us. This is what the enemy wants us to, to think. He wants us to think that God is breaking you because he's punishing you. He's breaking you because he's angry at you. He's breaking you because of sin in your life. He's breaking you because of decisions you've made. He's breaking you because he's got to force change because you're such a horrible person. And God is so angry at you that this is, this is his punishment to you. Let me tell you, God does not want to punish you. In fact, that's why he gives grace and mercy so freely. His, his, his heart is not angry at you or mad at you. His heart is trying to draw you to him. One of my favorite verses of scripture, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV version. Guys, if you have that in the NIV version, if you will. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Now, you've got to understand that when when Jeremiah is speaking these words. God is speaking these words through Jeremiah. He, he's speaking them to people who are not living the good life. They're not in the blessing season. They are caught up in captivity, spread out around the world as they have been taken as slaves. And, and Jeremiah writes these words from the Spirit of God. And he says, God is telling you, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. But hang on a minute, God. I'm a slave right now. I'm in the midst of captivity. I'm caught up in things I don't want to be caught up in. I, I'm paying a price for things I don't want to pay a price for. And yet, God says, I know the plans I have for you. If you read the book of Jeremiah, we learn a few things that God's trying to say to them. He's trying to tell them, look, um, while you're in captivity, don't be frustrated, don't be angry, but just bear the burden and walk through it. This is an interesting word. We don't want to hear this as, as American Christians. We don't, we don't want to talk about this as American Christians. We want, to, we want to preach the gospel that is the gospel that is always blessing us. Because that's the fun thing to preach. But the truth of God's word is we have to go through breaking seasons. And Jeremiah said, when you're in one of those seasons, 
I, I don't want you to get so caught up trying to get out that you make your life miserable. Do your best to make the best of the situation you're in. If you're in a breaking season right now, I'm not telling you that today is the end of it. There have been seasons in my life that seem to go on forever, and I'm saying, God, I'm really tired of this season. The second thing that Jeremiah warns them is, don't listen to people who come through and promise a quick deliverance. Because if our hope is caught up in a quick deliverance, when it doesn't happen, we'll lose our hope and our faith in God. But Jeremiah says, look, here's what I want you to have faith in. God said it's going to be 70 years. It won't be a day more or a day less. But here's what God says, 70 years. It's not going to be quick. Try to endure. But God's doing something. He's working something. But here's what God wants you to know. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is confusing when you're going through the breaking season. I'll say it to you like this. God, you're not trying to harm me, and yet you're breaking me. You're hurting me, God. This has been my life. I've walked this road. When I was 14... Uh, reminded me of this story. I knew we were going to be talking about Cuba today. When I was 14 years old, uh, I went on a mission trip for a month to uh, Lima, Peru. And before I went, I had to go in and get a lot of shots. And if you know me very well, you know I'm deathly afraid of shots. get all kind of anxiety. It's a bad situation. So my grandmother and a friend of mine, uh, who's, who's, uh, I was 14, she's 14, and uh, we grew up together. Her mom's uh, one of our elders in, in our Nederland campus. So my grandmother and this uh, young girl come, come, and they're going to go with me to get these shots. So now I'm 14. I got a little ego. I'm scared to death, but I'm not going to show it, right? I go back, and I, and I get my shots, and whatever they were, yellow fever and uh, cholera or whatever the shots were, and they give me the shots, and I mean, I am like, the room is spinning. I don't know if any of you have those problems, and, I, and I'm trying not to pass out, but I'm, I'm going to be tough. I'm like, no, I'm good. So I stand up, and I walk out, and I had just gotten a, a bank account, and so I was going to pay, pay for the shots with my own checkbook. And I'll never forget, I was standing in the waiting room, and uh, I'm standing in the, the waiting room, and, and there's the window where you pay, Tower Medical over in Nederland, and, and I'm standing there writing my check, and I pass smooth out. In front of the whole room, the room is packed full of people. And I wake up, and I'll never forget the moment I woke up. If you've ever passed out, I passed out a lot, a pretty, pretty common thing in my life. <laughs> and I wake up, and there's this, like, really tall uh, nurse, black lady, that, and she has my feet in each of her hands, and my back is on the floor, and she has my feet like this, and she's pushing me across the floor like I'm a, a lawnmower. She's mowing the lawn or something. And I wake up, and I'm like, oh, my Lord, what is going on right now? It was the most humiliating experience of my life, and I'm looking, and my grandma's just, like, laughing, and my grandma's the sweetest lady in the whole world, and she's like, <laughs> and, and Candace Hubel is, like, dying laughing. She's never going to let me hear the end of it. And all these people, they're trying to be nice. My grandma's not trying to be nice. They're trying to be nice and not laugh. It was humiliating. But, you know, here's the thing. When I got in those shots, they hurt so bad. Well, let me ask you this question. Was the doctor trying to harm me? No. You see, we attribute pain to harm. But that's not always the case. In the case of God, he is never trying to harm you. 
It might hurt, but he's not trying to harm you. Here's the good news. After the breaking comes the giving. God wants to give you to the world. He's trying to multiply what he's put in you and give it to the world. I love this. The Bible says that at that very hour, Jesus disappears and these two men race back to Jerusalem. They didn't wait till the next day. They didn't wait till the next week. They race back to Jerusalem and they start telling the disciples, guys, listen, the ladies weren't crazy. We saw Jesus. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And then he gave us our own bread back. And when that happened, we recognize that this is what Jesus is doing. And, and, and even though Jesus takes our life and he blesses our life and he breaks our life, he always gives us our life back, but he gives us in a way that we can share it with the world. And now we're here to encourage you. And the Bible says that as they were telling their story, Jesus walked in the room and he said, peace to all of you. And the Bible goes on to say that joy and wonder filled the room. You see, what Jesus had done for them, he then shared with all of the people around them. Can I encourage you, if you're in the middle of a breaking season right now, to just hang on for a moment, for God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to give you back to the world. He wants to share you with the world, your story to make a difference in someone else's life. You see, that's the way God thinks. We get caught up in just wanting the blessing and God's like, no, 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 no. I'm not just trying to bless you. I'm trying to use you to bless someone else. I'm trying to use your story to change someone else's story. That's what God wants to do with you. I want to close today. This is the same thing that Jesus did as he gave his life. Some What's what's amazing as we understand this process is Jesus is not asking us to do something he was unwilling to do himself. Today, if you're in the season, you need to give your life to Jesus. He's here. He's here. You can make a fresh start with him. Maybe you're in the blessing season. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy every minute of it. Don't be surprised when you start getting broken. But in the meantime, enjoy the good life. If you're in the breaking season, May I encourage you, hang in there. God's not mad at you. He's got you. Remember, he took you. He has you in his hands. These are the same hands that designed you in the first place. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because next he's going to give you back. And you're going to make a difference in your life. He's going to use you in ways you didn't understand. But you're going to make a difference. Go tell your story to somebody and watch what God does through you. But as we remember this, we remember the suffering that Jesus went. You should have received communion elements when you came in. Gentlemen, I didn't get one. If you did not get the communion elements, if you would raise your hand, our ushers are coming. They want to, they want to bring you one of these. As we close this morning, we're going to close. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. As you have, if you have your elements, would you stand with me? I want to say a quick, quick prayer. And if you need to give your life to Jesus right here, just agree in your heart that, and give your life to Jesus. Father, right now, take our lives. We give it to you. You're our Lord and our Savior. Forgive us of our sins. We worship you right now. 
So Jesus, you took the bread and you blessed it. And you broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Lord, tonight, this, this morning, we break this bread and we remember you and we also remember what you're doing in our life. Though we may be broken today, you're not through with us. We eat it now in remembrance of you. And Jesus, we lift the cup and we bless it. This is your blood that was shed for our sins. It's the blood of the new covenant. Thank you, Lord, that we get to walk in your forgiveness. We get to walk in your righteousness. Thank you for it right now. We bless this cup and we drink it in remembrance of you. Lord, I pray for your people today. Wherever we are in the process, that we would understand your goodness, that you have a plan for us to prosper us and not to harm us. God, I'm speaking to those that in one area of their lives or another, they're in the breaking process. Lord, I pray that they would hear the Spirit of God say to them today, I've got you. It's going to be okay. I'm not here to harm you, but I'm going to carry you through. May we be encouraged. And Father, may we leave. And in your timing, would you give us back to the world and give us the chance to share what you've done in our lives with the people around us. I thank you for it right now. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.